text for this morning's sermon is the same as the portion that we've just read, so we won't read that again. But uh, it's good to keep it in front of you. And um, after the reading of the sermon, we will respond with the singing of hymn 5, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4, where we give glory to God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, our task in the world is to bring heaven to earth. We who have been changed by God, renewed by the blood and spirit of Christ, we must bring the new heavenly life we have received, its nature, style, and qualities, and put it to work here on earth. We do that by being the salt of the earth and being the light of the world. Salt shakers and light houses. Preserving salt and guiding light in our community. In that way, we lift up earthly and worldly people to the Father in heaven. We encourage those who have their sights set only on this world and earth to look up to the Father in heaven, and to bring him the praise. We all have that task, wherever God has placed us. To encourage us in that task, the Lord has given us parents, each other, and also the elders of the church. Each has his own task in this regard, in encouraging us to be salt, light, and to bring glory to God. As we stand on the threshold of a new year and the remainder of home visitation season, our mind moves to the task that the elders of the congregation have in this respect. I preach to you about your heavenly task in the world, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, and in the third place, to bring praise to the Father. So I'll read that once again. The theme is your heavenly task in the world. First place, to be the salt of the earth. Secondly, to be the light of the world. And in the third place, to bring praise to the Father. Start with the first one, to be the salt of the earth. The Lord Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. It's a statement of fact, an unconditional, incontestable statement. That is what you, his followers, are. The Lord was addressing the crowds. See first one. Crowds of people followed him. He taught them. And to these crowds of people who followed him, who wanted to be his disciples, who listened and submitted to his teaching, he said, you are the salt of the earth. In the days of the Lord Jesus, salt was used as we use it today as a condiment to add flavor to food, but it was also used to preserve food, to keep food from spoiling, from corruption. So those who follow Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, give flavor to life on earth, and they preserve life on earth. The earth needs it, for the earth is corrupt. Think of what the Lord God said 
about the people of the earth, which was in a state of rebellion against him during the time of Noah and the great flood. Genesis 6, verse 11, 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. In Psalm 14, David wrote, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none that does good. They have all gone astray. They are all alike corrupt. There is none that does good. No, not one. In Revelation 19, we read about the great harlot who corrupts the earth with her fornication. The earth is corrupted. Scripture says it, and our experience confirms it. Because of man's sin and rebellion against God, it is rotting. It is decaying. That corruption begins in the heart of man. Paul spoke about it in Ephesians 4.22, when he told the Ephesians to put off your old nature, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful lusts. It is sinful desire that corrupts life on earth. It is man in his fallen state that is the corrupting influence that destroys life, that makes life rotten, that makes life so unsavory. But then comes Jesus Christ, and he says to his people, You are the salt of the earth. Once you too had a fallen nature, once you too were corrupt, you were part of that corrupt fallen world, part of that corruption, but now you are salt. It is as salt that we, the people of God, halt the corruption, the decay, and the rot. The people of God, as they influence the community around them, counteract the corruption. And at the same time, they add flavor, godly flavor, to the community. How do the people of God function as salt of the earth? By living the way Christ outlined in the Sermon on the Mount. By taking on the qualities and doing the things Christ spoke about. By being meek hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. The Lord spoke about those things before our text, but we can also think about what the Lord said in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. We are salt of the earth when we live according to the commandments of God. We are salt. We both add flavor to life and preserve life when we don't hate one another when we don't commit adultery, and when we make sure that our marriages are in good order, when we love our neighbor as ourselves, when we put off all hypocrisy, when we are not anxious about life but really place our trust in God, when we enter by the narrow gate and scorn the wide path that leads to destruction, when we bear good fruit, doing the will of Jesus Christ, when we in every way work at transforming our confession of faith into consistent obedience to God, a life of good works, when we strive to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. When we live in this way, 
And the elders will be visiting us in our homes to talk about such matters, to see how we are making out and living according to God's commandments and according to the teachings of the Lord Jesus, and to encourage us in living as the Lord would have us. When we live in this way, then we are salt. Then the corrupting powers of sin have been arrested in our own lives. We add a heavenly flavor to life around us, and we halt the powers of decay of destruction, of sin, which are all around us. To be effective as Christ would have us be, we need to get out of the shaker. Salt left in the shaker is useless. Furthermore, as the Lord said, salt that loses its saltiness is useless. Pure salt cannot lose its taste. But in the ancient Near East, Salt was seldom sold in an absolute pure form. In a humid climate, the sodium chloride of impure salt would, over time, leach out. What was left, the residue, maybe a bit of lime-like substance, and it would look somewhat like salt, but it would be tasteless. If the real salt is leached out, how can it be made salty again? It cannot. What is left is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and stepped on by men. It's not even good for the manure pile because it would end up on the field and spoil the field and the crops the farmer would try to grow. It's only good for throwing out on the road and to be walked upon. Don't lose your saltiness. Stay salty. The world pressures you not to be too Christian, not to take your faith so seriously, to lighten up, to relax in the war against what is despicable in your community and rotten in our world. There is that constant pressure to be insipid, tame, and tasteless. If we take up the world's suggestion to take it easy, and not be so Christian, then we lose what has been freely given us. Then we make ourselves good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. To be persecuted for the faith and for standing up for what is right as individual or as congregation is one thing, and you may glory in that, but to be cast aside by God as useless to him and to be trampled by the world is something to be ashamed of. We all need to ask ourselves whether we are salty. Do you add flavor to the bland, flavorless world around you? Does the way you live slow down the corrupting powers of sin around you? The way you speak, the way you act or react, the way you live in your various communities, in your home, in the congregation, in the world. You are the salt of the earth, therefore be salty brings us to our second point. Not only 
are you the salt of the earth, you're also the light of the world. Christ calls his people the light of the world. That is rather surprising since in John 8, verse 12, the Lord Jesus said that he was the light of the world. Who is the light of the world? Is Jesus Christ the light of the world or are we the light of the world? Of course, there's no contradiction here and it's not as strange as it may first appear. In John 8, verse 12, the Lord said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows Christ, the light of the world, will be enlightened. Christ came as the light into the world. Whoever believes in him does not remain in darkness, but is made light. Earlier in the gospel, chapter 4, we can read about how the light began to shine in the Galilee. Matthew 4, 15 and 16, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And that light was Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, shines on people, they become light. And they begin to shine. As Paul said in Philippians 2.15, we are to be blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation among whom we shine as lights in the world, holding on to the word of life. We live in the midst of a dark world, but holding fast the word of of life, we shine as lights in the world. Christ said further that the church is a city set on a hill. Such a city cannot be hid. A city set on a hill is seen for miles around. Especially at night when it's dark, you can see it from far away. In the same way, we who shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse world, we radiate the light of Jesus Christ. We bring light to the darkness. Not only are we to be salt and so give flavor to a tasteless world and preserve it from corruption, we are also to bring light into the dark world. What do we do with that light? We do not hide it. We do not put it under a bowl. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a bowl. That would be silly, wouldn't it? Light a lamp and then cover it with a big bowl? That's not what you do. No, you put it up high so that it gives light to everyone in the house. In Palestine, they would light a lamp and put it on a stand up high. We would put it on a table or attach it to the wall. Only then will the lamp give light. Both of these images, the city set on a hill and the lamp set on the stand, shows or show that the light does not glow of itself by its own power. The city is set. It is built up there on the hill. The lamp is taken, lit, and put on the lampstand. Someone has to do it. In the same way, we are not light 
of ourselves. The opposite is true. Of ourselves, we are darkness. But Christ has lit us. Christ makes us shine. As he works in us by his word and spirit, he makes us shine. And we shine with his light. Let us do so as individuals and as congregation. For what purpose? Why does Christ build us and set us high on a hill so that we can be seen? Why does Christ light us as if we were a lamp and set us up high on a stand? And that brings us to the third point, which is about bringing praise to the Father. So why does Christ light us as if we were a lamp and set us up high on a stand so that others may see us and so give glory to the Father in heaven? And we will sing about that after the sermon. Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. As you live according to the Beatitudes, humbly, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, showing mercy to others, in purity of heart, making peace, then you shine in the face of those who do not yet know God the Father through Christ. Then you begin living a life of good works. As you begin living a life of good works, living according to all the commandments of God, not hating but loving, living with one another in holiness, forsaking all hypocrisy, very obviously serving the one true Master Jesus Christ, not just saying, Lord, Lord, but really living according to the will of the Lord in obedience. It is then that others see what you, what we are about. The reason God makes us salt and light is so that we might get into the world. Salt left in the shaker is ineffective. A light under a bowl is useless and will actually go out. We need to be streetlights in our city. Streetlights in our city. And if God is pleased to use us, our Christian testimony, then he may, through us, win others for himself. If people see our good works, our obedient, humble, and thankful living before the face of God, and when they hear us speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, then maybe they also will begin to give praise to the Father who is in heaven. That is the goal. That is the original and the chief goal of men, to give glory to the Father who is in heaven. That's why God created man, that man might live before him in righteousness and holiness, glorifying God in all good works. That's why God redeemed man. That's why God makes us salt and light, so that others too, by getting to know us, would begin to glorify the Father. That's our calling, beloved. Also, for the new year ahead of us, each in our own place in life to live as salt and light 
in our communities, where we live and where we work. Let us do so consciously, assaulting salt, a shining light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. When we, old and young, live in the way the Lord Jesus would have us live, when we live according to the Beatitudes and according to the commandments of God, then we bring heaven down to earth. The nature, the qualities, the beauty of the heavenly life, we start to spread it around us. And we make those around us, ourselves, one another, our families, our neighbors and colleagues, we make them look from the earth up to heaven. We make them look away from this dark world to the heavenly Father, the Father of lights. And as they see us living to the glory of God in all good works, perhaps by the grace of God, they too may be led to give praise to our Father who is in heaven. Amen.